0: So let's start down there with you, Reverend Dixon, and we'll start by giving your name. Just introduce yourself, uh, where you currently serve geographically, and the name of your church or ministry, and let's just go through the line. Just introduce yourself real quick.
1: I'm I'm James Dixon, Jr. I'm the pastor of Elbeil Baptist Church in Fort Washington, Maryland, and also a missionary consultant for the Maryland-Delaware State Convention in Black Church Development.
2: Carlos Navarro in Brownsville, Texas. I've been in Brownsville for the past 20 years. Uh, I came to this country as an illegal alien, and I became a U.S. citizen just uh, a few years ago. And uh, we have just planted uh, 18 churches in the past uh, 19 years there in Texas.
3: My name is Aslam Massey and I work uh, at the North American Mission Board as a national mobilizer, and I'm focused on people group uh, South Asian and all Muslim people groups.
4: I'm Brian Galloway. I've been with the uh, International Mission Board for about 25 years. I'm now stationed in the U.S. and uh, looking at people groups that are in the U.S. and who they are, which ones are reached, which ones are unreached, which ones are
0: engaged, which ones are unengaged. These are one of these mics you're going to, unfortunately, you got to pretend like you're on American Idol, and you're going to have to hold it right here in front yeah. of your face because they do not pick you up. So you have to keep it real close, and these guys will hear you good.
5: My name is Benny Wong.
0: Uh, I
5: was born and raised in Hong Kong, uh, immigrated to Canada in '78. Twenty years ago, I uh, moved down to California and started to uh, pastor First Chinese Baptist Church in Los Angeles. I'm the senior pastor of this church. Uh, I've been
0: there years. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for being here and for taking your time to uh, share some of your wisdom and insight from years of ministry. Let me start by, again, this will be one I want all of you guys to go down the line again and answer for me, but tell us real quick, what is the primary people groups that you're primarily seeking to start churches among at this point, and what is the population, if you know it, and the best figures you, can, you have today, of this people group in North America? So this is three-part. What are the people groups you're primarily starting churches among right now intentionally? What is the population of those people groups in North America? And if you could, what are the top cities you see the greatest number of those people groups residing in? So three-part. And I can remind you if you forget. That's all right.
1: Well, the people group that I'm working with primarily seeking is African-Americans, Africans, Caribbeans, English-speaking Europeans, Anglos of mother ethnic people who have been fused together beyond race, ethnicity, and individual cultures. The population among Afro-Americans, we've got 40 million, 507 plus, all over, but over 60% is uh, in the states, in the south, southeast, and the northeast. Africans uh, are 2 million plus in North America. Majority of cities in the northeast, New York City, D.C., uh, two top places, Atlanta, uh, Southern California, in Canada, Canada uh, Halifax, and Vancouver. Caribbean people of African diaspora, 6.5 million plus in North America. In the United States, uh, New York City, uh, Philadelphia, Miami, Atlanta, D.C., Los Angeles, in Canada, Ontario, and Montreal. English-speaking Europeans, Anglos, is 100, 196, 202 plus all in, said uh, North American cities.
0: Great. Thank you.
2: Brother Carlos, go ahead. Well, there in Brownsville, uh, there's close to 200,000 uh, people uh, in population, and 92% in Brownsville speak Spanish. Uh, they said that by the end of the year 2020, in the Twin Cities, uh, Mexico's border and the United States border, it seems like we're going to be leaving more than 25 million people, starting from uh, San Isidro, Tijuana, all the way down to El Paso, Juarez, uh, down to Texas. Um, in the valley, where the church is uh, located in Brownsville, uh, it's not only Mexican people living right now, because we have a like an inner migration. People moving from different places uh, where they can live safely and work and, and develop. But um, Texas is, has become a, a, a target for Hispanics. It's one of the largest. Hispanic populations besides California. And then uh, in the past three years with the situation, the financial situation and the crime that's happening in Mexico, it has thousands of people flee from Mexico and come into the border towns. So we're expecting that to have an you know, overwhelmed uh, migration to, to our cities in the
0: in United States. I believe Josh and our team, our Hispanic Mobilization Coordinator, tells me there's more than 55 million, is that correct, Hispanics in North America? Close to 45 and up, yeah. A staggering,
3: amazing number. Aslan. I'm representing a Muslim people group uh, at this panel this morning. Uh, It is uh, estimated there are about 7 million uh, Muslims in North America. Uh, Let me – we need to understand that the U.S. Census – does not ask a religion question. But the Canadian census does. According to uh, Pew Research, 2010, the Canadian, according in Canada, there were 940,000 Muslims. It was two years ago. But now, it's almost over a million Muslims are just in Canada. Now, we should not also forget that there are large number of international Muslim students are studying here. Uh, Let me give you a few stats. According to uh, Saudi financial uh, agency in Washington, D.C., November 30th, 2011, they they made a statement that there were 47,000 Saudi students and 23,000 of their dependent were on the scholarship, Saudi scholarship studying in the United States. The figures come, makes it 70,000 alone, according to last year. Now, come back to here in the, in the, in the U.S., now the, the other largest number. The second largest number of the, the Muslim students are from Turkey. There are, according to, uh, last year, there were 12,000, 184 Turkish students uh, are studying here. Now, come back to Indonesian. According to last year, there were almost 7,000 Indonesian students studying here. Now, come back to Iranian students here. There were almost 6,000 Iranian students are studying here according to last year. 5,000 plus Pakistani students. I can go on and on, but but what I'm trying to say. Here's, my dear friends, there are no churches started among the Muslim background believers, only except very few, maybe a couple of Iranian, that I can, I can find out. We don't have a church started among these people groups, among the Muslim people groups here uh, in North America, part of SBC. Coming back to the cities, the, almost all the metropolitan area, you will find the Muslim people living. But let me just uh, give you a few New York City, second, Los Angeles, third, Detroit, Michigan, fourth, D.C., Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Chicago, Houston, Dallas-Fort Worth, and I can go on and on. Great. Thank you, Azam. Great overview. Probably each one
4: of us could go on and on about a lot of things. Um, the Hispanics... The Asian populations, the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, uh, we're looking at who are the people that are here. Twenty-five years ago, when I left the U.S., the U.S. was basically monocultural, and the churches that, you know, I came from and everything, SBC churches, were monocultural. Twenty-five years later, though, basically, the U.S. is multicultural, multi-ethnolinguistic, but yet a lot of our churches still retain kind of this monocultural, monolinguistic attitude and everything. In the U.S. alone, just for foreign-born population, there's around 42 million-plus foreign-born population. This is first generation, okay, first generation alone. That's a 29% increase since the year 2000 in 10 years a foreign-born population. That's not counting second generation and others who've naturalized. That's a 60 percent increase in 20 years. And the reason it's increased is because in 1965, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson signed an Immigration Act that said that uh, people could immigrate to the U.S. not based on country of origin, but based on family affiliation. And at that time, the percentage was 4.7% of the whole population was foreign-born population. And since 1965, it's now 14.7%, which the highest it's ever been in history in the last 150 years is a 14.8%. So you're talking a huge increase. With the present trend as, as it's going, it's going to be at 25% in another 15 years. It's estimated that two out of three children who go to school today have at least one parent who's foreign-born. That's a pretty phenomenal statistic to just look at. Sixty-seven percent of all children who go to school have at least one parent who is foreign-born. You know, uh, when I left last uh, twenty-five years ago, the U.S., I didn't see Hindu temples everywhere. I didn't see mosque. I didn't see Buddhist temples everywhere. Now it's pretty prevalent. They're not just in the urban areas. They're in small towns. Elizabeth Town, Kentucky has a mosque with a pretty good-sized presence of Muslims just in that little town. You know, it's south of Louisville, Kentucky. So... You know, to say they're in this one city versus another city, they're everywhere, okay? They're among us. And uh, a project that I'm working on that I that I often say is these people are more than just landscape. They're our neighbors. God has brought them here to us. What are we going to do? Are we going to reach out to them, or are we just going to let them be our neighbors and not do anything?
0: Great. Brian, I want come back to you here in a little while and talk about the top few that you see, the the greatest influx of immigrants. Uh, Pastor Benny, tell us what people you're working among right now Uh,
5: mainly uh, Chinese um, Mandarin speaking and Cantonese speaking, foreign born as well as local born Uh, there are as many as 3.2 million uh, Chinese in the US they mostly live in Los Angeles, San Francisco um, New York Uh, I just want to piggyback on uh, the Hispanic work and the Lord has been teaching me very precious lesson uh, lately. And our church is situated... May I show a few, few pictures? Our, our church is located in Chinatown, uh, uh, Los Angeles. We are next to Dodger Stadium. And uh, we, as we continue to reach out to our immediate commu- community, we discover that the population of Hispanic people has already outnumbered uh, Asian, uh, Chinese. And we as a Chinese church, we are very conservative. It's not in our culture to reach out to Hispanic. Um, but this is our Jerusalem. We have no excuse. So this is what we do. And this is our history. We have planted uh, different churches in the, in the last uh, uh, 20 years, 30 years or so. Uh, but 1988 to 2009, uh, I call it, you know, silent years. Uh, that's the time that we had most internal problems. But once we get this started again, you know, the Lord uh, has been very gracious to us. I just want to back on Hispanic. Uh, this is a church plant that we started three years ago, mainly Chinese. And, and uh, why do we need to facilitate Hispanic church plant uh, in our future plan? Uh, this is right next to our worship center. This is a Hispanic-run um, uh, a factory, and 10 out of 10, the workers are Hispanic, Spanish-speaking. I don't speak Spanish. The only word I speak is uh, glacia. That's the only word I know. <laughs> um, but we, the little we were able to do is to reach out to them over Christmas holiday. We invite all these workers, all together, about 70 of them, to our church for a simple Christmas uh, lunch. And they have, have Have been very receptive to our invitation. For the last five years, we have been doing that. But as we continue this Christmas luncheon, we ask ourselves, I ask myself, I ask our staff, I ask our leadership this question what else can we do? And the answer was not much else we can do. And, And then we translate it into prayer. We just pray, God in our vicinity. In our Chinatown, downtown LA, there is no absolutely no SBC Hispanic Church at all, for whatever reason. But somehow, you know, the Lord opened door, opened a, a wonderful door. And I just want to share with you the work of God. It's not us; it's the work of the Lord.
4: Amen.
5: Somehow, this year, the pastor who is in the middle, his name is Pastor Victor. Somehow. The Lord, amazingly, you know, we didn't know each other at all, but somehow, I, I don't want to go into details, but somehow the Lord directed this uh, pastor to our attention, and we started to, to to chat and fellowship. And we realized that he has a wonderful story to tell. If you look at, sorry about the words, uh, they are not too clear. But if, if you look at Pastor Victor, he was born um, in El Salvador, I believe. And then somehow, four years ago, he had a heart to evangelize the Hispanic people, Spanish-speaking. So he started this Tahanga Church, and then the Lord really blessed it. He started with zero, and then in four years, this church has grown to 80 adults. And this church, from day one, the church already has the DNA to evangelize the lost. And that's why they blessed him just a year ago. They blessed their pastor. Yeah, the pastor is pastoring Tahanga Church, but at the same time, they blessed that they blessed uh, Pastor Victor to reach out to another city close by. It's called Dagny. Dagny is uh, 15 minutes away from, from downtown Los Angeles. So he started a Bible study with Spanish-speaking uh, people in Dangli And then just within the last year, he was able to lead 20 people to Christ. And then they started a weekly Bible study uh, with the intention to start a church. And they have been praying for an exact location to plan a new church. And somehow the Lord amazingly orchestrated everything. And Pastor Victor came and talked. And, and we realized it was really a, God, uh, really a God-led thing. So we, after much prayer and, uh, and, and, and prayer, we are going to facilitate this new work. He and his 20-some people from this Bible study group, is going to plan a new church by using our facility. That's great. What a no, neat story. Not only that the Chinese uh, churches. If you if you look at Tahanga Church, they also bless the work. Now keep in mind Pastor Victor is still pastoring Tahanga Church. And yet Tahanga Church has blessed him by sending seven of their key leaders to partner with this group from Dangi, And it uh, really bless our own congregation. A month ago, I invited the congregation, this, this uh, Diognese Bible study group, to our church prayer meeting, and these are their faces. And they said "There, they have never seen that man, many Chinese faces before. <laughs> and it was just unique as we, and we sang, as we prayed together. We have three translations, and, but it was just wonderful because we knew it was the work of the Lord. And not only that, as we... As we partner with them, we are rejoicing. And we know, uh, the Lord willing, September 16th, we're going to start a first Spanish speaking service. It's not our work. We are just facilitators. We are not going to charge them any rent, electricity, and power and all that. That's <laughs> wonderful. Rent free. But we will get it back
0: when we go to heaven. Thank you, Doctor Benny. We need to move forward to okay, some other questions. Sorry. Great story. Yeah. It's amazing to see a Chinese work reaching yeah, w- out to a different nationality like that. You don't see that happening. Sorry often. to take that much time. No, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. As I ask another question though, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand if you have one. I'll have Leroy come find you. But I want to ask this question, uh, Doctor James, what it what do you find is the greatest obstacle right now to you in plant in starting new churches? Just Two, three sentences. What is the greatest obstacle you're incurring right now among the people who are trying to start new works?
1: Institutional and especially. Go ahead and
0: hold the mic right up to your
1: mattress we hear you. Go. My wife said I don't need a mic. <laughs> <laughs> Institutional, especially denominational traditions, mm. holding on to outdated methods and approaches mm. and extra biblical requirements. In other words, we add things, put things on top of the Bible that the Bible already states that we need to be doing. We add more pressure on people. And many times that pressure either include them or exclude them. So we need to stick to the Bible.
0: Wow. Thank you for being straight. You? Dr. Hey, that's what we want to hear, brother. Don't hold back. Dr. Carlos, tell us, what's the greatest obstacle among Hispanics right now that you're finding?
2: My association. <laughs> okay. My local association. Uh, <laughs> beyond that you started it you started it okay <laughs> see. and next okay
6: uh-huh
0: beyond
2: that it, it is isn't your culture not to reach for Hispanics but we eat Chinese food twice a week okay <laughs> <laughs> we most of buffets you see Hispanics in your restaurants okay <laughs> Thank you for what you're doing there and that's that 's exactly what we need for hispanics in in my conference uh, i 'm showing something that uh hispanics won 't be reached in in church buildings we have to get them where they are, and for hispanics it will be a difficult for us in the future to build our own buildings so if we're going to have if we 're going to have to move for something greater than anything it's just uh, uh sharing our buildings maybe anglos maybe uh, african-americans or uh, chinese whoever owns a building please let us use your buildings because for us it will be difficult to to have something uh, where we can meet Uh, the greatest obstacle is actually uh, the red tape Mm, lots of bureaucracy and and and, and it's it takes us sometimes two to three years to start a new church or to plant a church according to the the ABCs. Mm-hmm. So instead of that, that's why we in the past 20 years in Brownsville, we started 18 churches, Beautiful. more churches that the local association or the entire association has started. So uh, I don't know what's happening, and I don't know why it's happening, but it should be well, it shouldn't be happening. Well, as you
0: well. Leave churches, plant churches, and I'm, I'm excited that God is leading your church to multiply itself as he's commanded. What among the culture have you seen changed among Hispanics that is becoming obstacles to starting churches? Is there anything that you're seeing changed among the people Hispanics uh, adapting to the American culture versus leaving their Hispanic culture? H- how is that working with starting the new well, churches?
2: It's, a lot of people think that most of the Hispanics are Mexicans, and you know, it's not more Mexicans anymore. People coming from Central America, South America, from Cuba, from Puerto Rico, from Dominican Republic. So they, we speak Spanish, but we have a different culture. There it's a different way of thinking, a way of doing things. So uh, we try to adapt mm-hmm. our Latin American culture to basically uh, the the North American, the U.S. culture. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what we've been doing. This.
0: That's true. That's great. Uh, Aslam, I'm going to switch it up on you. I'm going to ask you real quick, to think about reaching Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, it's, it's a daunting task, okay? It's, not, it's, it's pretty daunting to think about crossing that barrier and culture barrier. So where are we going to start? Where are we going to find planters who are going to plant among Muslim people? Where are we going to find them, and how are we going to equip them?
3: You asked me uh, two-fold questions. Two-fold in less than two okay. minutes. <laughs> Where are we going to find them and how we're going to equip them, right? That's right. Okay. Uh, finding a church planters. The church planters could come from Muslim backgrounds, Christian backgrounds, American-born, new immigrants, and the planters could be reproduced by a successful church planters. But the, the only thing that we need to look for in church planters who are trying to plant churches among Muslim background people is the vision. Who has the vision to plant churches among Muslim background people? Uh, If you, uh, I just, uh, please let me state uh, one uh, scripture here. If you don't have a vision, I think uh, it'll be very difficult for church planter to plant churches among Muslim background people. Let me give you one biblical story. When you look at the scripture, uh, 41, Genesis 41, uh, Pharaoh, he had a problem. When he saw the dream, seven years of plentiful and seven years of famine. No one could respond, all the genius and a wise men that he had. But the man who responded he stated the vision with the solution strategy. And if you read that chapter 41, you will see that book, uh, Pharaoh said, Where can we find a man whom his God has shown how we can save from the famine? My friends, if we don't have the vision, we will be wasting our time. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the second part of the questions. How can we train them? Okay, Let me give you a four-word strategy how we can train the church planter to, to plan churches among Muslim background people. The first word that I'm going I'm to give you is a model. Engage them. Bring those church planters uh, into the fellowship of the successful church planter who are actually doing it. Practitioner. Let them see how they are doing it. Uh, Once you do that, you will bring inspiration to those church planters. Second word, mentor them. You, You don't only show them, but you actually sit down with them and tell them how are you doing it, why are you doing it, and how it would impact the kingdom. Let me give you the third word. Mobilize them. Now you have modeled it. You have shown them. You have mentored them. Now you are getting them involved. They have seen you doing it. Let them do it. You watch them. And then sit down with them and help them to understand. Last word. Multiply them. Let them do it by themselves. Help them to do what they have seen you doing it you know what, the last thing, which the last word I'm going to say, as they are multiplying themselves, you bring them into the Bible study, have them to start the small groups. They will end up starting churches. Thanks, Azam. Brian, in your
0: research, what are the top few people groups you're seeing right now that are moving to the U.S. that we need to be aware of? What are trends showing us? and where you see the top, what's the biggest need for us to figure out a way to reach them. And if you want to, you can go ahead and go in now a little bit. Of, how are we going to find them? Tell us they're there. How are we going to find them, and what's the biggest need?
4: I'm going to backtrack, though, Shane. I think what they touched on is exactly true, is the institutions and the church is keeping us from getting to what we need to be getting to, which is, which is people groups. And I, I loved what you said about you know South Americans. We think Hispanics are Hispanics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we just lump them all together as one people group, and that's not true. And just to lift up one one group that's been migrating here the last ten years is those that are from El Salvador. That's a huge group that's that's coming here right now to the U.S. And then you have other groups in South America that are coming here. And so you're talking multiple church plants that need to be planted, because whether or not we agree with the homogeneous unit principle or not, people function in the sense of they would rather be with people like themselves. That's just how it is. And so you've got to start with where people are, not where they should be. And so those that are coming from El Salvador start churches among the people that are El Salvadoran, you know. Those people that are coming from the Asian countries, which I don't know if you know, a big trend that's just happened in the last uh, five years or so is the percentile, it was Hispanics that were coming to the U.S. was a higher percentage than Asians. It's now flopped over. And the Asians that are coming is a higher percentage and i'll just name a few of them ones that that need to be reached right. the iraqi the iraqi there's large numbers of iraqi that are coming to the us and then also from iran large numbers and i don't see the church stepping up to the plate for reaching out to them and if they do step up to the plate they want to do it with a traditional model you know which is have a building or some other thing. We need to look at house church. Mm. We need to look at some other models and methods Mm. when we start planting churches among people groups. And we're just not doing that. And um, I think we're doing a very poor job. And just to go along with that is I think what we've developed in our churches is we believe in the capital A and the small a, apostles, and then we have apostles, small a's, and the small-a apostles become missionaries who go overseas. And I don't, I don't read the Scripture that way. I don't understand the Scripture that way. We're all to go as missionaries. We're all to be apostolic. And I think we need to look at how we're doing our models in the U.S. and break down some traditions that exist within the church and begin to look at house church. We'll say, yeah, we can do house church overseas, but we don't do it in the U.S., I think we need to look at something different in the US. Another group, mainland China Chinese. Mainland China Chinese are different from those that are from Taiwan and Hong Kong. That requires other churches. And on Tuesday nights, just in the last five months, we've already been able to get one going among mainland China Chinese. And uh, they think different. They process information different. And that's the whole issue is the church needs to realize we do, we need to realize that people process information different. That means their worldview is different. And the other thing that goes along with that is every person deserves to hear the gospel in their own cultural forms Mm. and their own language. And I, I want people to hear the gospel in their own language and in their own cultural forms where they understand it. I want it to penetrate their heart issues, their worldview, and not just penetrate something outwardly and everything. And so those are, those are just a few. I could name a whole bunch of others. No, Shane, that's good. You know. That's
0: good. Pastor Ben. let me ask you this because you guys, and I remember the number you said, but you guys have started many churches. How are you going about training these men right now that God's calling out? what methodology are you using what's your leadership development your church planter training look like in a couple just give us some of the pointers what are you doing to intentionally make that happen i mean a lot of times this stuff just doesn't happen because we dreamed it what are you doing to make this happen how are you training leaders how are you training planters and then pastor dixon i'd like for you to talk about that for a second
5: well to be honest with you uh we don't have a, a training program to train church planters um but what Nonetheless, one thing that I have learned from the past uh, as, a, as, a, as a senior pastor, I need to articulate the need over and over and over and over again. And people don't catch it the first time, and it's my responsibility as a senior pastor to articulate. Uh, I also need to, talking about uh, setting up a model, I have learned that i need to model church planting so three years ago when we started another church and i want to i wanted to implement this important principle so when we started off uh, we this new church plant uh, started uh, three years ago and uh, we sent out six couples and from day one sunday evening I have, i'm very busy uh, Uh, in the morning and afternoon, but uh, in the evening, they met, uh, they're still meeting in the afternoon. And I and my wife, we, from day one, we started to, to help out for the first year, every week, every week. I help out to stack up chairs. I vacuum, I I did the trash. And that, you know, the little I did, uh, motivate, you know, laymen to get involved. And, uh, uh, and one of my um, colleagues, uh, one of my assistant pastors, uh, he's local born. Uh, and uh, I still remember three years ago when I, two years ago, I said to him, I said, John, would you consider to plan a, ch- a church for American Asian, the second, the third generation? And his answer was absolutely no, no way, Jose, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. You know what happened? Six months ago, he came back to me. He said, "I feel called to plan a new church." And to me, you know, this is this is really an answer to prayer because I, I didn't have a structure, you know, man, mentoring program to ch- to train church planter. But I think as I continue to articulate the need, the Spirit would move in a wonderful way and change people and call them out to do church planting. Well, and
0: I think something you just said is very important because it doesn't sound like a big deal, but but it is, it's intentionality. For what I heard you just said, is you took the intentionality to say, would you consider doing this? And I think a lot of times we just forget the fact that us as ministers are responsible to help equip those that God's calling. But sometimes that means we just got to open our mouths and say, what do you think about this? Sometimes we've just got to look another brother or sister in the face and go, you could do this. I know a mobilization for us and our team to mobilize church. knows we've just got to tell church, you can do it. You can do this. What do you think about doing this? Sometimes people just, I think, need to be asked. So I appreciate your intentionality of just going, would you do this? And I think God used you to plant that seed then to help that brother realize he's called to plant that church. So that's great. I think we need to remember as pastors just be intentional as a way to find those planters. Pastor Dixon, what are you guys doing to help train and equip?
1: About three years ago, uh, the Lord put it on my heart to develop a process of church planting for the black community. I felt like uh, Southern Baptists had, you know, had done a good job in that area. Amen. And so, therefore, uh, I wanted to really educate because we cannot assume that the black community knew about church planting. Uh, and when you talk to black pastors about church planning, the first thing that comes to mind is, is that I'm going to give away some people and I've got to give away some money. I don't have neither one of them to give up. And so, therefore, we wanted to come up with a process of going back to the Bible, number one, and looking at how Paul started churches. Uh, Paul would go into an area, lead folks to Christ, start a church. Simple. And so the Lord put it on my heart to draw up a process, what we call the uh, Antioch Institute. Uh, we have an institute now where we train church planners. Initially, when we started, we started with asking black pastors to send us their associate ministers. Uh, we didn't want the ministers that they wanted to get rid of. We wanted the ministers to have potentials. <laughs> Somebody ought to help me here. <laughs> we didn't want the ministers that, you know, like I said, that they want to get rid of, but they saw the gift of planting churches. And what we began to do is to, when we first opened up our class, uh, unbeknown to us, other leaders from churches came. And so now we are we're on two tracks. We're training leaders in churches as well as raising up potential church planters. Um, and, and we meet every second Saturday from 8.30 to 2.30 and we bring instructors from all over the country uh, to do this. The uh, main thing we're trying to do now is spotlight our African-American professors. So we got two of our professors coming from Southern this year uh, being a part of that. It's only $25 tuitions each month. Our first class, we, we gave 29 certificates. Uh, we have about 17 in our class this time around. So that's our process in training them uh, right. and helping them understand what it is to, to start churches. I learned church planning is a process. And I think sometimes we want to use the artificial insemination approach because we want instantaneous re- growth, and that don't last long. But it's a process and, and, and teaching uh, people how and what it is from a biblical perspective how to start a church. You want a church to last. Uh, what I discovered is that we don't allow a church planner to trust this calling. If you say you've been called to this, you've got to trust God in this. Whether you get support or not, you got to know God from a biblical uh, point of view that God can provide for you regardless. And I think sometimes we hinder the church planter from that because we dump in money, we send in people, and so therefore what they're basically doing is watching the bottom line. When that money runs out, that church is going to die. We need to stop that. We need to train these guys, first of all, what prayer is. You know, prayer is serious, and if they know they've been called to this, they need to stick to it and know that God's gonna take care, take care of them. God already knew you're gonna have ten children. He already got the provisions for that. He just wants you to trust Him.
0: Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Great word. Me open. The, I got a couple more questions. But I want to open to you real quick. Make sure I'm not missing. somebody. Go ahead, Garrett, and then we go back here. You want to start with that, Brian? That we yeah. Can, if any of the other guys um, want to add to it, it's great. My
4: approach would be do them all, mm. okay, and start house churches. And then if they want to come together for celebratory worship, let them come together for celebratory worship. But get in their homes. Get in where their sphere of influence is, where their concentric circles are, and let them influence others. I remember being in one of those uh, Hindu temples, the one where the guy's kind of a fusion Hindu priest and uh, everything. You know, find out who's going there and then begin to network with those people. Where do they go eat? Who do they eat with? Begin to network with them and have some people in your church begin to form relationships with them and get in their homes and form relationships because church planning is a process, but it's also relational. If you don't have that relationship, you're not going to plant churches. I don't care who you go with. You've got to plant churches through relationships. And so I I would do everything I could. That Buddhist temple, real large Buddhist temple, I'd go hang out there for a week and watch who comes and goes and get to know them and then also begin to talk to some of those people that are at that Buddhist temple and just hang out with them. I used to sit, tell church planners overseas, "You're getting paid to goof off," and I think that's true. It's relational. It's a process. It's getting into the community. So start multiple ones, and if they want to come together for celebratory worship, praise God. Let them do it.
0: You know.
3: Real quick, Osman, if you want to add to uh, it, I want to go to the next. I, just, question. Uh, I completely agree what Brother uh, Brian said, but I just wanted to st- uh, make a statement here. Uh, first of all, brother, no culture. Is beyond the power of the gospel, uh, but there is a some sensitivity because the having a, some understanding will help us to develop a better relationship. For example, the culture of the of the church and the culture of the mosque—they're two separate cultures. The culture of the Hindu temple and a mosque and a Buddhist temple—they're all different cultures. Uh, you don't need to be an expert uh, in reaching these people, okay? You don't need to know all about, the only thing you need to know, the culture of the gospel. Be relational, and you will see the result.
0: That's good. Brother back here had his hand up. Go ahead. Leroy, if he can get you the mic,
6: he'll help you up. We have to duck. there we go Hi, uh, my name is King Lo. I came from Malaysia, a, a mostly Muslim um, population country and uh, God called me to go to china i 'm an ethnic Chinese and ended up i'm in Vancouver uh, doing church planting, uh, reaching out to uh, mainland. Chinese, Mandarin-speaking, Mandarin-Chinese. and um, In my experience, it's beyond my Im- imagination. So I, we have like around six, seven families of Chinese Muslim families in our congregations. And uh, we baptized four of the families in our church. And one of the family actually... Uh, is now in L.A., Los Angeles, pastoring in a non-SBC Chinese church. Um, he he became a pastor after seminary, and uh, he has the passion and vision to reach out to Muslim population, both in North America and uh, in uh, China. Um, people um, sometimes overlook there's a big Muslim population in China chinese muslim and uh and there's a opportunity um but uh, the the good thing is that uh, people look at chinese muslim they don't look at them as muslim uh, chinese muslim they look at them as chinese they um um Those Muslim uh, Chinese, they're, they're typically Muslim. They're traditionally, um, they their tribes, they're, they're born uh, Chinese, uh, Muslim. Um, there's a piece of information and there's uh, uh, probably a uh, opportunity to reach out to the nations, even in the ethnic group like, like mainland Chinese in, in North America.
0: Thank you, Pastor King. I've been to Vancouver and seen a lot of great work that God's doing uh, among you. uh, Either one. or, and then we'll go right here. Go ahead. My question is,
6: uh, what is Um, is being done to uh, mobilize the existing uh, ethnic church in America to reach the unreached people groups um, in, in, in the United States?
0: You want to start, Carlos, about maybe what you've seen about mobilizing existing Hispanic churches, and then maybe we'll move to in, anybody in
2: else. today's local church. In our dictionary, we have neglected, and it doesn't exist, the word missions and starting new churches. The reason why, because we're just trying to survive. Local churches just you know trying to pay their own bills and trying to do, you know, their sun, Sunday worship services and trying to survive. So it's a burden for the local church to think about missions, to think about domestic, local, and foreign missions. And don't you even think and bring it up, to start an, another church, because we're just struggling with the one we have, so we don't, we don't have any effort, we don't have any power, we don't have any, you know, desire or hope to start a new church. The soonest uh, your local church experiencing is starting to experience in revival, uh, bringing new people. And somebody says he said in the panel that this is not the pastor's work. This is not the deacon's work. This is the great commission. It wasn't given to the evangelism committee. That was the first committee that I just abolished when I got to church, because the evangelism was it wasn't given to the a committee. Evangelism and the Great Commission was given to the whole church. When the whole church is experiencing, when the whole church is in it, and then we started thinking of starting a new church. How we started the 18 churches around Brownsville and the local counties because our building, existing building, is for the capacity is almost for 700 people. The social hall it was bigger than the sanctuary. So we we had the this the sanctuary was for 250 people, but the social hall was for 400. And then we had to uh, demolish the social hall and we put together the sanctuary. So we have a building now for 750 people. So because of almost 25,000, this is probably is it looks like an exaggeration or something. But almost 25,000 people make professional faith through our ministries in Brownsville. We cannot – we don't have a space. We don't have a place to put them. That's why we decided to mobilize and to start new churches in Brownsville. Yeah. And, so, the so what I,
0: and there's a lot more these guys say. What I'll add to you is a follow-up for you. The great next step for you is our whole team is in here right now who works with European, Asians, Koreans, black, Africans, uh, Muslims. My team is here and available to help you know more about those specific periods. how we're mobile, they are specifically mobilizing those ethnic churches. We've got about two minutes. I'm about to dismiss you. I saw this hand earlier, so I'm going to hit you, brother, if I can. If we, if we can get a couple more, we will, uh, but let's go right here. I can't reach it. Can you talk loud? All right, talk loud. That's right. It's a great word to not let media skew your thinking and understanding, but instead look at people with the eyes of Jesus and get to know them and not let that... Shane, can I, say, can I say Yes, and then no, no, this question... No, I want to no, say one B Okay, go ahead. Yeah.
4: Okay, um, I totally agree with you. You know, the media has created this fear toward Muslims. But let me tell you, I'm not afraid of the Muslims. I'm more afraid in the U.S. of Hindus and Buddhists. Can I tell you why? It's because Hinduism and Buddhism fits more American culture, and people more readily will go toward Hinduism and Buddhism than they would Islam and you see also Buddhism and Hinduism you have home altars so it's not as visible and so you have more Hindu and Buddhism going on in the US than you do just Islam Islam is more in your face
3: I'll just take a less than a minute we ain't even got a minute (laughs) okay very quick Uh, let me just share with you uh, what is happening here in, uh, in, in Atlanta this will help you one a Muslim family came from Pakistan just a three months ago. A man who was fighting a jihad at the border of Kashmir had a five bullets in his back when he arrived to Thailand. He was brought here. His bullets were removed in Thailand. I'm engaging with that. Now, this man is listening to the gospel. We're praying with him. And I have created a team working with him right here. We must not be scared. Everybody respond to the love of Christ. Thank you. Pastor James, real quick.
1: I want to say that, uh, piggybacking on on, um, the brother here, there is no great commission without the great commandment. If we really express the great commandment, that's love, we have the great commission. Secondly, we want people, first of all, to behave, then believe, then belong. We must make people feel like they belong first. Then they believe, then they behave. When people see that, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, who you are. When people see genuine love, they gravitate to that. I had 18 French-speaking French speaking people in my home at one time. Couldn't speak a lick of French. But the love that we showed those people. I turn out to be poppy, my wife turn out to be mommy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great word. I'm sorry, brother. We're going to run out of time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for participating. Thank you to our panel. I appreciate you guys.